It's Monday the 28th of February 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this past week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is Gudmund Björn Thorbjörnsson, radio presenter and journalist. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, one topic has dominated the world this week and that is the invasion of Ukraine. This programme is of course mostly about domestic news but it is almost as much domestic news as it is foreign. People have certainly been talking about little else. One of the other things that people have been talking about, though, is the removal of all COVID restrictions, with both domestically and at the border, that started on Friday. We have news that the number of reported cases of domestic abuse in close relationships has trebled in seven years. February has been one of the coldest and windiest in many years, and there are yet more yellow and orange warnings in effect in the northwest as we record this very show. The number of spaces for trainee police officers is set to double this autumn. And finally, today is Bolodot, or Bun Day, the first of three festival days in a row that make that mark the start of Lent and the run-up to Easter. So, where would you like to begin? Yeah, these are all interesting topics. Uh, maybe we should uh, start by talking a little bit about uh, the situation in, in Ukraine. Um, as, you, as you said in your introduction, this is, uh, of course, a, gl- a global affair, a global matter, but it concerns uh, almost every part of the world. Mm. And uh, here in Iceland, uh, the government has, has been very clear, very adamant in, in their, um, uh, what, what is the word, uh, condemnation of, of what, what is happening in, in, in Ukraine mm. and uh, how Russia is invading a sovereign state. And uh, there have been some um, decisions made in the in the parliament. Um, there are, of course, these sanctions that that we've heard uh, heard about, uh, and Iceland will partake in the, in those. However, we must not forget that uh, the Icelandic government has uh, held sanctions on Russia since 2014, mm-hmm. um, and Russia has managed to get by um, despite those sanctions, but we will see, I mean, these sanctions are supposed to be way more severe uh, than the others. Uh, So we'll see what happens there um, and if that will actually work. Then um, the government has has stated quite clearly that they will uh, welcome uh, Ukrainian refugees to Iceland, which is a very good thing. And there was some talk about sending people from Iceland to the Polish border with Ukraine to help them on the site as well, I've read. Yes, I, I, don't, I don't think it's happened, but no. there was talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good thing as well. Yeah. Um, how do you think, in if in any way at all, has Iceland or the Icelandic government done anything different or reacted stronger than than every other country in Europe? I think for one example is that the Icelandic airspace was closed to Russian aircraft a few hours before the rest of Europe decided to do so. Um, yeah, and there have been a few things. Yeah, this is true. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I, if I've thought about it from this perspective, uh, what Icelandic, uh, what the Icelandic government has done differently from others. I mean, we are, of course, uh, you know, we're we're an island or a small nation uh, in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, and it's often said that we're not very influential in the global. Uh, in, in the geopolitical uh, world. However, uh, Iceland is a part of NATO and it has its voice also also within the UN and as a sovereign state, this voice is, is as important as with all others or all other countries. So, yeah, maybe you should inform me rather uh, what, what you think that um, Iceland has done differently 
Um, yeah, it's. It, I mean, the, the the first response was obviously we are a, a European nation. We're going to stand with the rest of Europe mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. what Europe is doing, and we condemn it equally. Um, so yeah, maybe not so much. But Iceland was one of the countries, uh, along with I believe Finland and and the Netherlands and others, that declared that its airspace was closed to Russian air traffic, and that was before the yeah. European Commission made its announcement. And of course, Icelandic airspace is bigger than most countries' airspace, and right in the middle of the North Atlantic, it's hard to get around it on your way to North America. Yeah. So it's important from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And also also being very adamant about uh, welcoming refugees. Uh, mm-hmm. However, the Minister of um, of Justice, uh, Jon Gunnarsson, he is now in Brussels, and he, where he is meeting other his colleagues uh, from, from the EU and the Schengen. Um, they're mostly just discussing how they should pr- proceed from here if if there is going to be like a wave of refugees uh, coming into the European Union. Uh, he has said that he might be slightly worried that uh, people from other countries, neighboring countries from Europe that are no from Ukraine that are not in the EU would try to benefit from this situation somehow and seek asylum in Iceland. Um, I don't think. Personally, I don't think this is an issue at this moment that that we should think this far ahead. Mm. Uh, and uh, it it sounds like the emphasis is is first and foremost on on welcoming these people. Yeah, uh, maybe looking at the sort of historical perspective a little bit. Um, we mentioned NATO, Iceland, a founding member of NATO, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and we are kind of the North Atlantic nation, mm-hmm. the midpoint. Uh, between USA and Russia in the old Cold War. Mm -hmm. This is a different situation now, of course, Mm -hmm. but still strategically important in that regard. Incredibly Um, important, as we saw. I mean, the the US military was was based here for for over 50 years, and, um, uh, and, and, and we are talking here about Russia and and the US again. Uh, so, so this could be, I mean, Iceland is incredibly strategically important, as you say. So I think we will always be be an important factor in mm. in all these all these decisions made, and as you said, the funding member of NATO, which was very controversial at the time in 1949, there was protests, um, massive protests downtown. Uh, even my grandfather, he was uh, he was arrested, and uh, he didn't get a job for I think seven or eight years because of that, and. Mm. Uh, Labeled as a communist, you know these were different times. Uh, yeah, so you're and right. On that very note, actually, Iceland has always had this little bit of an awkward reputation in NATO. Certainly during the Cold War, the 60s and things, always having good relations with America and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It's perhaps more than certainly America and many other countries in Europe. There was this, like you say, there was a very strong socialist, if not communist, movement here. Perhaps stronger than in other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since this situation started, there is no evidence of that right now. I think there's... The, the, you, it, mean, you mean relations to Russia? Well, support? public opinion is what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think the public opinion is pretty clear. It's very clear, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. However, there were some... I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on the issue, but when when uh, Russia annexed Crimea in, in 2014 and mm-hmm. then entered the Donbass area in the, in the eastern part of Ukraine... Uh, massive sanctions were put on Russia, uh, also from Iceland, and there was some uh, there was some op- opposition here in Iceland from uh, certain certain people in export, um, mm. especially uh, concerning fisheries, 
so not not everyone was happy about that, but I think. Uh, but that wasn't so much on idealistic grounds as it was purely economic. Purely economic, yes, yeah. definitely not idealistic, mm. for sure. Yeah, and I, I don't think, I don't think there is any. I think the public opinion in Iceland probably reflects the public opinion in Europe and most parts of the world uh, regarding what Vladimir Putin is doing right now. Mm. Uh, he's he he look it looks like he is very much alone in this. So. There is much that unites Iceland with the rest of Europe in its reaction to this. The couple of things that are different about Iceland is, as you say, founding member of NATO, but I think the only unarmed NATO nation. Yes. That's a special difference, possibly an opportunity um, to talk, as Iceland does place great emphasis on talking about peace and humanitarianism, mm -hmm. uh, feminism, rights of minorities. How can we project that this time? Because everyone's talking war, obviously. Yeah, I think it's mostly just emphasizing that NATO is not a you know military organization. It's Which a, it it's, is. It's a defensive. Well, it's a defense <laughs> oh, it's alliance. Defensive, yeah, yeah, it's mm. a defense alliance, mm. and 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 it's a, it's supposed to. You know, it's it's safeguarding peace. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and having a country in NATO that doesn't have an army um, is is I think important as well. And and I don't think there is. A, I mean, there has always been. You know, NATO has been criticized in Iceland for all for all these all these years. We have been members of NATO, and 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 there there is an organization, something um which do not want Iceland to be in NATO. And the the leading party in the government, the left green movement, uh, has its it's its official policy to mm. to take Iceland out of NATO. Uh, but I think now that. Mm. I, I, I conducted an interview uh, on Saturday uh, uh, for my show Himskvir, which is on foreign affairs, and, and one of my interlocutors there said that what Putin has managed to do is to unite NATO and unite the NATO states against Russia, which mm. has never happened before. But he, says, he said that NATO has never been as united as right now. And it, it would be interesting to do a survey in Iceland right now, what do you think about Iceland's membership in NATO? Um, something would, yeah, something would tell me that it's it's going up. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and and I mean, the, the also European... also just to add, we are completely defenseless if something happens here. If uh, you know, if China, or Russia, or whoever would want to to come here, and we would not be a part of NATO, you could see a similar situation as is happening in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. NATO is not going to enter there with soldiers on foot. Uh, they're going to support Ukraine uh, financially and through through weapons, but they will not enter this this war. Mm. That's a really good point. And being in a strategically placed island between Europe and North America, yeah, it does seem to make sense being part of NATO. Uh, anyway, uh, another thing that separates us is a complete lack of reliance on Russian gas. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that has any significance in the big scheme of things. Yeah, it would be interesting if, if we would be reliant on Russian gas, like parts of Europe are and um, the rest of the world, then I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we would... We, yeah, we would probably have some opposition uh, here against this. Uh, again, I think that would purely be on economical reasons, not ideological, again. So it's probably a very good thing that we are self-sustainable when it comes to that. Yeah. We have um, a sizable Russian-speaking population in Iceland, also people from Russia itself. There's been protests outside the embassy and around the country, I believe, in Akureyri, Reyðafjörður and elsewhere. Um, 
and this was covered in the news as well. Mm-hmm. What was the sort of emphasis, uh, the balance of people there? Is it there's a lot of Icelanders as well? A I lot understand. of Icelanders, yes. Uh, I, I would say very, you know, uh, people from all over that live here. Uh, a lot of Icelandic people as well, and as you said, a lot of Russians uh, who who condemn this situation, mm. uh, which is a very you know sobering thing to see and, and good. Um, yeah. And I was also surprised by the number of Ukrainians living here. I didn't I didn't realize that at all. And as we, as we saw on the news yesterday, this woman who lives in Redafjordur, fucking there, Ukrainian woman, uh, hard to watch. Mm. And uh, yeah. Well, Ukraine has sometimes been easy to overlook, but it kind of shouldn't be. It's got 40 million people, mm-hmm. the 10th biggest nation in Europe, the second biggest country in Europe, land, mm-hmm. land area-wise. It's... It's, yeah, it's a major player. And, uh... It is, it is. And it has gone through a lot of like uh, democratic uh, changes in the, in, the, in, the, in the past few years. I mean, there was a revolution and, uh, and we could see a, a new government, with, first with Poroshenko and now with uh, Zelensky, uh, presidents who, who, who are willing to join the EU or willing to join NATO, mm. um, who want to move further away from, from the East and towards the West. Um, however, the Ukrainian population is also divided, and it's not—it's not easy to find out who or how big of a portion of the country considers themselves uh, ethnically Russian. Uh, of course, it's the eastern areas, the Donbas, Lukansk, and Donetsk, but um, it could be more, it could be less. We we don't really know. Um, yeah, and you know there have been polls, but you can't really. You can't really take them seriously uh, because they are biased. They are either conducted by the Ukrainian government or by the opposition leaders mm. in, in Donbass. Yeah. Iceland has good, close diplomatic ties with Russia. Um, embassy here in both countries, an ambassador who's been in Ruv News, um, interviewed in Russian, being casting a defiant tone, mm-hmm. echoing his government's policy. Um, yeah, like I imagine... I don't know how how many ambassadors uh, Russia has all over the world. Probably 150 or 200. They would be they they have been doing the same thing this week. Every mm. single one of them saying the same speech to as is their job. Yeah, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, do you foresee a situation in which the embassy might be shut down or the ambassador expelled? That's a good question. I I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Um, I don't know how. It could happen theoretically. It could. Uh, it has happened somewhere, um, and I could. I don't know if you saw an interview uh, conducted by an Irish uh, reporter who is who is uh, talking to the Russian ambassador in Ireland, mm. and he was very tough on him. and And, and he he ends the interview by saying, "Thank you very much, uh, ambassador of Russia in Ireland, for now at least." So, <laughs> so he was kind of hinting that yeah, you will be kicked out soon. I don't know if that will happen here. Uh, that is that is of course a massive uh, political statement. So I don't I don't know. Now there are other things to talk about, so we should move on. But quickly um, on that topic, what about the Ukrainian front? Do you think there will be obviously not immediately there are bigger fish to fry? But do you think there will be opportunity to open a embassy in Ukraine in the future and and beef up those diplomatic ties, which? Are very small at the moment. I don't. You mean an Icelandic embassy in, Iceland, in Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Probably, uh, definitely, and uh, but there are also other places in Europe where we do not have an embassy. Like we do not have an embassy in Poland. 
there are 27,000 Polish people living in Iceland, and so maybe maybe that would be we would do that first. But mm. but an embassy in Kiev, yeah, I don't see why not. Mm. There's a Polish embassy here, though. Yeah, there is, yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay, let's move on to a different topic now. Um, obviously, the COVID thing was big. Um, all of the restrictions are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, basically, they're basically saying we are aiming for herd uh, immunity, um, which I think all statistics show that probably well over half of the Icelandic population has gotten COVID already, if not more. Mm. Um, they have stopped doing the PCR tests which is also interesting, which shows that, you know, you cannot really show anymore if you've gotten COVID or not. Um, but st- statistics have also shown us that that this variant of COVID, the Omicron, is, is people do not get as seriously ill as from, from earlier variants, the Delta and the, and the original ones. Um, so we'll have to wait and see if, if the, the Icelandic, um, the hospitals, the healthcare system, uh, can cope with this. Uh, I think it's it's doing it's doing fine at the moment. Um, there's not a lot of I don't I don't know the exact numbers, but um, but seriously ill people uh, are not uh, there are not that many at the moment from COVID. Yeah, it's interesting. It's striking to see that the number of patients in hospital with COVID is higher than ever. But luckily, the number in in intensive care. Yeah. Is, is small, mm-hmm. but still, there's been a bit of a backlash from the acting head of Landspitali. She's not happy that this has happened, at least in one fell swoop. So, yeah. Here we go, sixty-three people in hospital now. Yeah, which is like th- it was thirty-five or something a week or two yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I can understand her point of view. Of course, she wouldn't want that. This means more, um, more pressure, uh, more workload on their staff. Um, I, however, the problem is, of course, that the the, the hospital has been the healthcare system. Uh, it has shown for many many years that it's it it, it doesn't get enough funding, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not it's not as good as we're always comparing ourselves to neighboring countries to to Scandinavia, the welfare states around us, and uh, we are simply not in the same place there when it comes to healthcare. So the problem is deeper than just you know. I mean, co- the COVID situation in Iceland has shown that the hospital needs more funding. And uh, we'll see what happens in the coming years. Maybe we'll learn from this. Maybe we'll put more money in into the into the healthcare system. I, cer- I certainly hope so. Mm. Because we should, as a, you know, as a welfare state, as a, as a rich country, we, we should be able to, to, to run a decent healthcare system here. And I'm not saying we don't, but, you know, it needs more money for sure. Uh, there's a new head of Landsbytali coming in. Uh, there's, I think, what was I forget the name of it. It's a special project or a report or, or something going on uh, within the health ministry to see about overhauling the system and how to change it and make it more efficient. Um, but at the end of the day, more money is mm-hmm. clearly the thing. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in order to invest more money in healthcare, you need a robust economy. Mm-hmm. Removing all of the restrictions for COVID on Friday will clearly help there. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least, hopefully, as long as people are going to work because they're not too ill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on that regard, you know, um, this is the third time we've had these big relaxations. The second time, it's been almost complete relaxation, and they've always come back again. The restrictions. Mm-hmm. What's different now? 
Uh, I think there's like a general belief, not only in Iceland, but all over that, um, that this is about to end, that the, the pandemic is about to end. Uh, and um, if we if we see the, the development of the variants, how they get less and less severe, less and less serious, people get less uh, seriously ill. Um, yeah, but we don't know. I mean, we thought this was finished first, you know, a long time ago. I don't even remember this. This has been going on for, for over two years now. Two years, so two years today. Yeah, oh. that it came to Iceland. Yeah, yeah. So let's hope that that this is finished and we won't see it again. But who knows? Who mm. knows? Absolutely. Um, At least we have experience to build on now. And yeah. And, yeah. and they're always saying that yeah, we're we're changing the rules, but it's up to you, the public, to be sensible, keep yourself safe, stay at home if you feel ill. All of this sort of thing. And maybe people are taking that on board. For example, the nightlife this weekend downtown, everyone was kind of expecting it would be chaos. Yeah. Uh, the emergency services said they were pleasantly surprised. Yeah, but I mean, we, we cannot also forget that this has happened before. I mean, yes. we have opened everything up before. We've had we've seen these news before. And, and it was know, chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe they're like, ah, you know, and the bars have been open, you know, but they close earlier. And so I guess... It's not like the situation has been a complete lockdown and everyone was going out. But like it was, for instance, in in Belgium uh, this week, uh, I have friends living there, and they they were. Um, it was the first time that the bars were open longer than eleven mm-hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic, and and Belgium was hit quite hard and for a very very long time for many months. It was complete lockdown. So there, the situation they told me it was completely crazy downtown um, after midnight. Yeah. Well, there we go. Um, anything else to add on COVID? No, let's just cross fingers that this is finished. Amen. Okay, what next? Um, there's the domestic abuse thing that's always keeps coming up again and again in the headlines. The weather, uh, storm warnings in effect right now, and surprise, surprise, February was very cold. Yeah. Um, Policing, what do you want? Well, if if we if we talk about the domestic abuse, this is of course a very these uh, are very striking numbers. They are uh, that, yeah. we, that we're seeing here in in Iceland, and and I think the the story is that uh, it it has tripled. So domestic abuse or like abuse in in a close relationship, uh, the the charges or the yeah the complaints have tripled over the, the past seven years. Um. And half of every, I don't know what's the word, the the charges that are pressed uh, of violence are because of, of domestic abuse. It used to be one-fifth earlier. So maybe this is, maybe maybe people are, are, are just uh, talking to the police more. They're going to the police. They're telling about these things. I mean, if, if I'm supposed to find a positive view on this horrible statistic, um, I, I remember a few years ago, Iceland was 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 quite high or ranked quite high in in charges, uh, rape charges. So maybe it's that's the fact that the the conversation has gone a bit further here. We're more open about it, um, but I don't know. Uh, and then there are these shootings. We're also seeing uh, guys with machine guns and stuff like that. This is a very new thing. Well, it is a machine gun printed from a three D printer. Which how do you? prevent that how do you work against that i don't know if you can can make their own weapons Uh, i don't know if you can yeah yeah so there's like 
there's more toughness on the street uh, streets I guess I guess it shows that these are like very young men mm. uh, yeah this is this and these is two stories don't directly relate to no no of course not yeah. of course not but you know violence in general mm. uh, seems to be on the rise <laughs> in in old innocent Iceland if that's the case violence in general being on the rise then that seems to speak against the previous argument about hopefully it's more people reporting crimes that were happening anyway. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. It's hard to say which is true. Mm-hmm. Maybe neither. Maybe both is going up. Maybe. Um, yeah. And on that very topic, um, they are talking about beefing up the police force. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily in direct response to this, but also because of staffing problems they've been having. Uh, the shorter working week that was uh, contracted on for, for workers across the economy and has been biting quite hard on the police force. Yeah, yeah. And the the new uh, minister of, of justice here is is quite you know he's spoken quite clearly about that he wants to do that uh, and also about providing them with I think it was stun guns or something like that, which is always a delicate subject here uh, whether the, the police should carry weapons or not. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the police force, yeah, I think that also we also need more money in, into into that. I think that has shown. Uh, repeatedly over the years that if something happens if like yeah w- let's hope something serious never never happens here but uh i'm not sure if we would have the ability to to cope with let's say you know i don't know terrorist attack or something like that mm. um again there's no army here there's yeah that's an important point the police do the police and the coast guard together to take on some of the roles of an army yeah and Therefore, they need to be properly um, equipped and and manned. Yeah. And the Coast Guard too has been in the news this week. <laughs> there's something about the Coast Guard helicopters and and making sure there's always availability for rescue missions. Mm-hmm. For example, by not allowing ministers to use them for private mm-hmm. missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing about the Coast Guard, they've been spending a lot more money on fuel in the Faroe Islands than in Iceland for VAT reasons. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is a strange one because it's a taxpayer-funded organisation trying to save on paying tax back to the taxpayers. It sounds very Icelandic. It does, yeah. 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 And that's a long way to go to fill up your tank. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, back to the point. So they're going to react to this by... um, Doubling the number of spaces in police college, if you can call it that, um, this autumn. Yeah. Presumably that's not controversial. I think most people think that's probably a sensible thing to do. Yeah, I think that that is not as con- controversial at all as, as uh, you know, weaponry of police. Uh, because I think, in general, Icelandic people consider the police, you know, they're, they're, they're friends. They're good people. They're, they're trying to help you, you know. Whereas in other countries, uh, there is maybe... You know, there's fears of corruption and the people that get selected for the police are maybe not, you know, the most trustworthy or something like that. That has never been the case here, I think. People generally trust the police. So more police officers is probably considered a good thing. Mm. However, having weapons, that is another thing. And and it will always be very controversial. Well, we are... Especially in light of what has happened in the US for the past few years and... Yeah. yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I conducted a, an interview with a justice minister, not the current one, uh, a few years ago. And I was struck by the one line saying, we can better arm the police, but the criminals will always be one step ahead. They will make sure they're always one step ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's up to us to not push it forward, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you give all the police guns, then all the criminals will have machine guns. 
for example. That was the argument, and it it sort of it rang it rang true with me at least. Then. Well, on that note, um, on that bombshell, we will say that we've run out of time. Uh, it is Borodago today, so do make sure you eat as many cream buns as you possibly can. And then tomorrow we've got Sprenkitagos, which is uh, the start of Lent. Uh, yes. Pancake day in some countries. Mm. Uh, salt, meat and beans day in Iceland. Yes. Uh, so. What do you think of that? I assume you've tried that. Yeah, it's uh, salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's is. okay. And then on the day after that, there will be kids running all over the place dressed up mm-hmm. because of religion. <laughs> yeah, this is an old... Um, I guess this is what happens when you mix Catholic tradition with Icelandic folklore or something. Yeah. Yeah. Syncretism. So... Anyone working in a public-facing role on Wednesday expect children to come and sing for sweets, basically. Yes, uh, no, not very um, dissimilar from the Halloween, mm. uh, but but the, yeah, this has always been a, a big tradition here in in the beginning of Lent. Yeah. And now kids have two days; they also have the Halloween one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a nice week, apart from the news, obviously. Um, and the very, very earliest sign of spring as well. I always feel this is the start of... It is the run-up to Easter now, and, you know... It is. It, it might it, be snowy it, it, outside, but... It always surprises me. February always surprises me uh, how quickly it starts to get bright. Yeah. And Which is... Yeah, you just... You can just feel it in the air that, you know, spring is coming. Uh, I even thought I, I smelled, like, a smell of... The scent of, of uh, vegetation, you know, of some trees or the other day. Maybe I was just fooling myself, but I could I could smell spring is, is in the air. We live in hope. Well, the week in Iceland will be back with you next Monday, the 7th of March on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your preferred podcast platform. That just leads me to thank my guest today, Gwilman Dupiat Thorbjörnsson. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, we finished today's programme with a sad song with a message of unity and of recognising the value of what we have around us. It's not written about Europe right now, but it seems relevant. This is Ausgeir with The Sky is Painted Grey Today. Bye for now. On an unpaved weather-worn highway Walk with a staff in your hand In the distance you see a boat fighting The waves by the coastline Bye-bye.
Hey. 